of the Clemson Dubcast. It is Friday, January 20th, the morning of Friday, January 20th. Just put the finishing touches on a load of content uh, for the weekend at TigerIllustrated.com. Some really thought-provoking subjects that Paul Strelow and I tackled, including some predictions for the football team for 2023. So check that out if you already haven't. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 864- 9904581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P A R H A M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parham Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing Providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Okay, to our conversation, Fred Cunningham of WSPA. I mean, he's been around since 1984 when he came from Indiana. I had no idea. And wait until you hear about this guy's schedule and routine for getting ready for his morning show that starts at 4.30 a.m. Really interesting look into the life of this upstate television personality. Here we go. Enjoy. Okay, joined by Fred Cunningham, who was actually recommended by Mickey Plyler on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's a, it's a lot of fun to get a chance to talk to you at the risk in the opening seconds of sucking up to the host too much. Uh, <laughs> I'm a fan of your work, uh, both uh, print and on, on the great website. And I'm a fan of this uh, podcast. So it's actually really fun to get a chance to be on it. That's really flattering. Thank you. Um, well, I'm interested. So you're, you're, you, you read my writing and, and you you listen to the podcast. Are you, I mean, you haven't been involved in sports coverage in at least a decade, right? Well, it's actually been full time. It's been even longer than that. I made the switch from full time sports to channel seven to news, it'll be 21 years early next month. But at the same time, while I switched off of, of doing sports full-time, I actually got a lot of opportunities to do stuff in sports on my own time that I never would have had otherwise. But for the most part, yeah, the day-to-day stuff, 
I've been out of it for a long time. But you do like uh, play-by-play, the TV stuff for basketball and things like that? Yeah, I've been doing uh, – it really started for me. Um, I was out of it for about a year. And then do you remember the old CSS network? Yes. There was um, – they used to do replays of football games from – you know, this was a precursor to what is now the SEC network. And Clemson was one of the schools in which they would take a three hour game and cut it down to three, three and a half hour game and cut it down to just a couple of hours counting commercials. And so they would produce about half of those games on their own. And they called me and asked me to do those games. And so I did those for a number of years, um, started doing some charter high school football with Mickey. Uh, they had been doing it for a long time, but that play-by-play job opened up, and I did it with Mickey for about eight years. And then just some other little things here and there. Really what I do right now, uh, just as far as sports goes, uh, some of the Clemson streaming stuff with a Clemson video, and Rick Bagby does such a great job over there. So I get a chance to do some uh, – in the fall, I do a lot of volleyball, some soccer, women's basketball, and then hopefully gearing up for uh, baseball and softball here. Uh, gosh, in just a few weeks now. Not to get too far into the weeds on the CSS thing, but just I'm interested to to learn the reason that is no longer a thing, I would presume, is because it's from the advent of conference networks and that's like that's their inventory now where they, they have the rights to all that. Am I am I even close to to right on that? You are dead on on that. Yes, that was my understanding as well, because that really was their inventory. They would do Georgia, Georgia Tech, Clemson, um, Miami. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to remember now if South Carolina was involved in that or not. One of the problems I have is that um, I was not a charter uh, customer at that time, and I'm still not. I'm on DirecTV, so I never actually got to watch it. I had to, if I ever wanted to see my work, I had to go over to my in-laws house (laughs) to check it out over there. But that was basically what happened was that as soon as the SEC network and the conference network started coming along, it chewed up their inventory. It was a, um, a channel that was only available on, on charter, but it was a lot of fun. It, it, I did games that always depended on the carrier and I can't remember the breakdown, but if ABC or ESPN was doing the Clemson game that week, I think w- I would do that game. And if it was the old Jefferson pilot, that they would just take that broadcast, which meant I actually got to go on some road games. As a matter of fact, the last game I did for CSS before they couldn't do any more regular season games was at Boston College, and it was Dabo Sweeney's first victory. Oh, wow. So, Unfor- unforgettable. Yeah. And uh, that was, I mean, who knew? And and they'd still stayed in the business of doing uh, spring football games. And I still did a few more spring games after that until then SEC networks and ACC networks came along and gobbled all that up. I have these memories of in the 80s and 90s, and we'll get into when you came along in, in, in 1984, um, when you arrived to the Palmetto State, which is fascinating in its own right. But they would show, I mean, obviously you didn't have the, you had like one game <laughs> during the day. Yes. And then for some games, 
they would show them at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, you know, re- I remember watching replays of the, of the Clemson South Carolina game late, late night after listening to them on the radio that day or going to watch them on closed circuit television at the Coliseum. Just crazy how, how things have changed. Oh, it's, it's so night and day. Um, when I became a f- sports fan, really, I say it's 1969 because that's, I can remember watching actual games or remembering it and starting to remember names and that kind of thing. And you're right. ABC was the only people that had, it was the only network that had college football. So you got one game a day, except for, I think the last of the regular season, they would give you Michigan, Ohio state followed by Southern Cal UCLA. And that usually determined who was going to play in the Rose bowl. And that was it. Um, and then, you know, a few other things kind of came on. I think that there was a little bit more of that in the South, but in the Midwest we had, that was about it. You mentioned the Clemson replays. I grew up some on seeing Notre Dame replays. Not that I'm a Tim Beret Notre Dame fan, but you had Lindsey Nelson, who was a famous announcer back in those days. And they would do the same thing. They would take the Saturday Notre Dame game and they would show it like late Sunday night. And you always heard Lindsay say something along the lines of they had to edit for time. And you would hear him say, after an exchange of punts, we moved to action later in the third quarter. <laughs> and for CSS, I actually had to say something similar to that, just more generic because you never knew when they were going to cut. I can give you one CSS game that I have on tape. <laughs> it's on a VHS tape. I think I've got one recorder or one machine that still works. It was when they had the multiple overtime game against Miami at Death Valley. And at, what was that? Maybe 2006, 2005. Oh, five. Mm-hmm. Oh, five. Thank you. And I, I can't believe how that game would have been fit into a two hour window just with all the overtimes. Yeah, no doubt. So it's interesting. You're there. And they also, the main broadcaster that day is ABC, the live broadcaster, but you have two totally different broadcast pretty pretty interesting stuff kind of a relic <laughs> to look back it, on absolutely now. so do you do this all these extracurricular things do you do them just to stay involved do you do it because you just love it do you do it for the for the for the money all of the above some of the above kind of explain this um, all of the above actually uh, i would do all of the above i mean you know it's it's a little extra money here and there which is good but it really, it kind of scratches that itch. I grew up wanting to be a sportscaster. Uh, from when I was a young age, I wanted a TV sportscaster to be specific. And because I would see those guys on the 6 and the 11 o'clock news, and I thought, they get paid to go cover these games? I want to do that. And this was back at a time when the local sportscaster and the local newspaper columnists were, you know, yeah. that was there was no sports talk radio and uh, or at least very, very limited, nothing like what you have today. So I kind of grew up with that kind of thinking. And I got to do that for 18 years between Columbia and almost all the rest of it here. But um, just a, a time came for me that I decided that um, I had seen a lot of great stuff, but it was more kind of a family decision for me. Um, but 
to, to, to a more regular schedule, although my hours are incredibly irregular. But I still love doing it and still am interested in it. So, yeah, I take those opportunities, um, not an overwhelming amount, um, but just enough to kind of keep busy and still see a lot of the people that, you know, I saw back in those days. Um, that's a lot of fun. And it, it just really kind of was some different opportunities that I'd never had a chance to do. I mean, I got to shoot a part in a movie, um, <laughs> as a matter of fact during kind of that extracurricular free time. Well, we have, we can't just not say the movie. It's just Talladega Nights, really. Right, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I got to, um, I got to shoot a scene with Will Ferrell. Um, it was back in 2005. The movie came out the next year. We shot up at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, I had a friend of our family is, is a talent agent and, works in Chester and called me and said, you know, they're looking for people, you know, for this, I think you should go and audition for it. So I did. And I went to the audition. I thought I was awful, but she called me back. They said, no, they liked you. They want you to come back. And so they eventually cast me as a sports reporter. My character's name was Scott Benshaw. I don't know where that came (laughs) from, but I went and I was there for, uh, about a night and a day, I went up there the day before we shot because I had to go to wardrobe. And I came there just from doing the noon news. So I was still working khaki pants and a blue dress shirt and a tie. And they said, like, we like that. Just come back dressed like that tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, But I spent the night and then went out and shot this scene the next day. I'm in the scene. Well, I take that back. I shot the scene. Do you remember when he signs the baby's head? Oh, and yeah. he signed his, uh, Amy Adams' head. And I'm in that scene before all of that happens because I'm explaining that over the course of time, the guy who had hired Ricky Bobby had died and that there were rumors of a Formula One driver that was coming in. So I did all of that. That all got cut out, but I did make the first trailer and – the only line you hear me say, I ad lib. He said, you want me to sign your microphone? I said, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> that was my two seconds of fame. But I still get some residual checks for that. I get about four times a year, I get a check for anywhere from 8 to $12. <laughs> so what I'm was certain- your agreement? Like, what was the, you have a certain percentage of the, of the earnings? I, yeah. <laughs> 0.000. Everybody gets some kind of residuals, I guess. I have a hunch that Will's payments are a little higher than mine, but uh, it was a really fun, he was a really cool guy because, so I get there and they had like, you waited, I would, I said technically it was a trailer, but it was like a tiny room that was like larger than a bathroom. And I sat there and they finally, about two hours later, they knocked on the door. They said, okay, we're ready. And they've got a golf cart, and I sit down, and they say, okay, we're just waiting for Will. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And he comes around the corner with, like, two assistants, and then he leaves them. He hops on the cart next to me and just says, hi, I'm Will Ferrell. (laughs) And it took us about a five-minute drive over, and he could not have been nicer. And did you say where this was? I'm sorry. I shot it at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and they shot it right in the fall of 05, so it was right around the time of um, when they would have the fall race there. the um, Not the Coke 600, whatever that fall uh, race was, back when they used the Oval. 
The other fun thing I got to do was they actually did a table read of the script. Uh, and they did that in August, with, right before they started shooting. And they have the whole cast there. And you basically read through the whole script. And they got the crew there. And they are just start, start trying to judge what works and what doesn't. And I read about seven parts that day. But, like, the whole cast was there for that. So you had... Sasha Barry Cohen and Amy Adams and uh, John C. Riley and Farrell's there. And uh, they had me read about six or seven different small parts, but uh, I'll never forget that. That was also really, really fun. So broadcasting is really, really hard, at least from, from my vantage point, um, whether it's, it's uh, on camera or behind a, a radio microphone. Um, and I guess I'll share this. I've never shared this, and I don't. I don't want to make this about me, but I think you'd be entertained by it. Uh, yeah. Graduate high school, barely graduate high school. Uh, <laughs> really had no idea what I wanted to do. The only thing I could do was string a sentence together. So I go to journalism school at South Carolina, but still thinking, ah, I could maybe do the broadcasting thing. Fresh, mm-hmm. Freshman year, I'm a host for the campus radio station um, WUSC. I guess it was called. And mm-hmm. uh, just music, but then caught on with somebody and we were doing women's basketball games uh, and we would alternate. I'd be the color guy. He'd be the analyst and then, and then flip flop the next game. Mm-hmm. And I was terrible at preparation. I was terrible at pronouncing names. Just had no clue. Zero freaking clue. I was probably, he, the, the other guy probably hated me because he would go, to travel for a road game and I'd be the station manager, you know, the one who's controlling uh, when they sign off and all that. I would like sign off, you know, during his post game monologue because I was ready to go out and party and stuff like that. Just awful, (laughs) awful stuff. His name was Frank Johnson. And if he's listening, I I great, I heartily apologize for being such a (laughs) flaky, terrible person. But my point is, and I think you said, <laughs> I think you said you had that revelation. Wow, people get paid to to do this. I had that revelation when observing other writers doing their thing, mm-hmm. uh, newspaper writers, and that was really what was was my, you know, uh, big calling. And so I'm just wondering, from your observations, it's kind of the 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 personalities of of broadcasters and writers, at least in my experience, couldn't be more different because writers are generally more introverted, um, broadcasters more extroverted, of course. Do you see the same thing through all your years of, of of being in this industry, of being around the sports coverage in this state? Just interested to get your take on observing like the different sort of silos of, of media uh, that you've seen. And I guess we could also get into the the, the wild evolutions that have happened over the last uh, couple of decades as well with newspapers sort of losing their, their, their hold on everything. First of all, I think your observations are all dead on. Uh, I do think that there were great differences um, back when I was really in sports in the eighties and nineties and just into the early two thousands. Um, yes. Broadcasters, sports guys, you know, were used to being kind of that, loud and sometimes you know there there are some who kind of do the ego shtick a little bit um that are the you know the warner wolves of the world and that kind of thing so you're always going to be kind of boisterous you're always kind of maybe 
on, although I don't think you can do that faking your personality. I don't think you can just be introverted as a sportscaster and then just show up at a place and try to take on a new personality. I think you just have to be who you are. Whereas I think, yes, uh, newspaper, uh, print media back then was a, a little quieter like that. You know, there were, but I had great friends on both sides of it and we approached the jobs differently. But I mean, there were even some great personalities who were writers who were still kind of low key. And I think you worked with one of them, Ken Berger, the, the late great Ken Berger. Yeah, definitely not an introvert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, but not, I don't think he was big like, well, then that, now the more I start to think about it, um, sometimes, because he would do uh, picks on TV with Warren Pepper, because I saw them do that a lot because we would cross paths covering things like the Braves and the World Series, or we would um, see each other at the Masters and that kind of thing. He probably had as big of a personality for a strictly print guy that that I can really recall. No doubt. But there were some differences, I think, certainly back then. Um, you know, there was sort of some, there were some old school guys who just had no time for TV and let you know it. And then, you know, okay, you know, I, I like to kind of like to sneak in, get my two or three questions or get the two or three answers I'm looking for and then get out of their way. I always tried to be very respectful, but, you know, there was a little bit of that. But you're also, I think, dead on where we're coming to now, because I used to think that there were three definite lanes as far as media went. There was print that could go into great detail, that could do a lot of interviews over the phone, which back at that time was not really something that you wanted to do for broadcast. I think sometimes print could get a little better answer out of some people because it's one thing for an individual, you know, a coach or a player to talk to you and you're just talking. And then I would come in with lights and a camera and yeah. then you start thinking about, well, how do I look and that kind of thing. And I think that newspapers had that advantage. TV could show you at that time, what newspapers were talking about, that was our advantage. And then radio, back when you had more kind of radio news, radio news had ex ex immediacy. You know, radio news could interrupt that song by Fleetwood Mac to bring you this important news update. So we all had kind of our three lanes, but I think you, you're, you're leading into how they've all kind of merged. And now everybody does a little bit of everything. And obviously with Webb making the, the tremendous difference on that. So funny you mentioned Ken Berger being, you know, sort of against the grain and he would work every room that he was in. Mm -hmm. Such a large personality. I remember when I was first starting out professionally uh, at the Augusta paper for four or five years and then for the Post and Courier for four or five more, you know, as you're trying to figure out who you are and you know, you're not as comfortable in, in your own skin, you know, I had observed Ken all these years and... I'm thinking, oh, that's what I have to be, you know? And so I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to be the guy in press rooms, make cracking jokes that aren't nearly as funny as his, you know, and mm -hmm. trying to come up with one-liners and, hey, how's it going? And, you know, being this, this outgoing personality. And then at some point I figured out, man, just be who you are, you know, and who I am is just more of an introverted, you know, but try to be nice to people, but just not the, <laughs> the life of the, of the press room, I guess, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I mean, and Ken did that without being, I mean, he wasn't bouncing off the walls. He was more wit yep. and 
um, kind of sly in a way, but still a really big and really interesting personality. I got to know him from uh, there was the old um, and I guess they did this in all the leagues, but they had the ACC tour that you would do right prior to football season. And basically all the riders would be on a bus and you would go to campus to campus that back then it was only eight or nine stops. So it was a little bit more reasonable than you would possibly do it today. And uh, from the TV end of it, we split that up with a guy I was working with uh, by the name of Paul Jackson. And Paul was rooming with Ken. So when I kind of traded off, Ken was my roommate. Now, I knew him already, but he was great. And we just had so much fun. I I, I still remember very fondly. Uh, we were, I think, in raleigh maybe the night before doing nc state and there was a preseason nfl game on and the broncos were playing the south carolina fans are about to get really upset with me so um rookie quarterback todd ellis comes into the game (laughs) and i think he handed off and i think he handed off a second time and threw an incomplete pass and that was his night. And then he was cut um, at the very next cut, which may have been a day or two later. And Berger brought that up all the time that we watched the entire Todd Ellis <laughs> NFL career together. <laughs> that is fantastic. His not mine, but <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was great. He was just so much fun. I'll tell you one other thing, and you'll probably appreciate this. You know. In the low country, he knew everybody. And I always had some friends back when I was single before I got married. And a bunch of my friends from the north in April loved to come down for the heritage, the, the, the uh, uh, Hilton Head. And we would always play golf at some point during that trip. And this was back when, you know, the ocean course at Keel was, was the thing. And he got us on the ocean course. And so my friends thought I was the biggest deal. So the next year they're going like, can you get us on there again? (laughs) So I asked him and he was great and got us on again. Well, the next year they want to get on again. And, but I had planned ahead of time and I had started to talk to some of the people down there. And I got to the point where I was able to get on by myself that last time, but I saw Berger at, um, the next event. He said like, so you don't need me anymore to get on the golf course. So he even knew, that I got on on my own. He wasn't at the golf course that day, but somehow he had the information. So he was he was great. The clout of the newspaper columnist has been severely diminished. And I guess you could say the same thing, the clout of the newspaper beat writer. But I guess let's just keep it to columnists as being sort of representative. Um, you know, back in the day... 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you had really prominent voices, columnist voices in Charleston, Ken Berger, Mm -hmm. and also Gene Sapikoff has been the columnist there for a long time. You had, in Columbia, you had uh, Ron Morris, Herman Helms, uh, Bob Gillespie, I guess, was a columnist technically, but I don't know if he was necessarily a big opinion guy. You had uh, Dan Foster up here, uh, followed by Bart Wright, and mm-hmm. I'm probably missing some. You also had some Charlotte Observer columnists who would venture down. Tom Sorensen right. uh, was a, probably a prominent part of the Ron, 
Ron Green, yeah, uh, prominent parts of the discourse down here. And I remember probably the the most vivid memory I have of that sort of clout is their voices and opinions meaning something was I was sitting beside Ken Berger in the 2006 Music City Bowl, uh, Clemson versus Kentucky. And that season uh, under Tommy Bowden had sort of fallen apart late in the year after they were, I forgot the record, maybe seven and one after beating Georgia Tech at home with college game day and CJ Spiller and James Davis were the, you know, the big stage guys. And and at that point, game day and all that wasn't really a common thing at Clemson. They went on and get hammered at Virginia Tech on a Thursday night. Yeah, Uh, like five days later, yeah. Yep, lose at home to Maryland, I believe it was. Lose at home to South Carolina. And then uh, they're getting their butts kicked by Kentucky in the Music City Bowl. And Ken Berger, as he was... uh, as he as as his routine, he's writing his column early <laughs> before the game ends. But he, he uh, his his lead paragraph he showed me. He 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 says, "Larry, take a look at this," and it basically says Clemson needs to fire Tommy Bowden now, or something to that effect. Basically, wow. And it was like whoa, and you just knew how big that was that Ken Berger was calling for the firing of Clemson's head head coach. Whereas now. I mean, not that that wouldn't generate a stir, probably on social media, but now if I'm the head coach of a football team and, and a columnist calls for my firing, I don't know that I'm really that. It just doesn't have the impact that it that it did back then. And so, what do you, what do you make of this transformation in sort of uh, uh, the I don't want to say powerful voices, but the prominent voices? Just sort of there's been a total, almost total change in how that. Uh, uh, that that landscape and on top of that i think the state of south carolina has one newspaper columnist now gene sepikoff i can't i don't want to insult anybody but i can't think of any others i can't think of any others either um and gene's been there a long time but yeah he's the only one i can think of i know greenville anderson smartberg i think they're all basically the same paper the state newspaper does not have one i think the gene is the only one that i'm aware of I mean, and apologies to if there's a, a smaller town that, that does have a columnist, but maybe only prints or posts a couple of times a week. I think that the big thing might be is just the number of voices that have grown and the number of sources that you can go to to get this kind of commentary. And the, the, the Internet has helped spread that a little bit. My, my comparison might be this. When I was a kid, uh, the world's biggest sportscaster was Howard Cosell. And he became a monster celebrity thanks to Monday Night Football. And it's like, did you hear what Cosell said last night? And Cosell could shake up the sports world with a single comment or a single commentary. And, And people ask, what would it be like if he was here today? And my thinking is that he would just be another voice in the crowd because ESPN's got 400 shows with sports writers or columnists who are yelling at each other. And they, you know, and they've got these morning shows with Stephen A. Smith or Bayless over on Fox. I mean, you just get so inundated with it that I think it's just those prominent voices now have so many other 
I don't want to say competition because most of those, I don't think compete with the kind of columnists that, that we're talking about. Um, but I just think that there's just so much noise out there and, and people can also kind of steer um, toward what they want to hear. Um, you know, your website is, I think, a great example of that. They don't have to wait and see what the Atlanta paper might say about Clemson or report about Clemson. I'll go to your website and check it out there. And one of the, I think, here, here's another compliment coming your way, but I do mean this. One of the great things I like about your writing is that you don't blow smoke up them when it's not warranted. You're not going to come down on the hammer. But I think you're very honest in saying what you think about where the program stands, and especially a year like this when they had double-digit wins, and yet at the same time there were some tough observations that I think had to be made. Um, I think that that's probably the biggest thing. It's just there's just so much chatter out there, and you can kind of find. And I think this probably even spills over into politics. You don't have to wait to find out what. George Will says on this week because there's four million places yeah. where you can get commentary. Yeah, opinions are a dime a dozen. Um, you know, I think back to the '80s and '90s, the sports reporters on on ESPN mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings, and you had Bill Conlon, <laughs> who <laughs> this cantankerous, just surly, you- don't ever question anything I say, I'm always right. I mean, he can do that, you know, like, whereas now if, if he were in that role, people would be like, who in the world is that guy? You know, but back then he was a, he was an esteemed sports writer, you know, his opinion mattered. Mike Lupica, you know, I just think so many of those guys have lost their foothold because opinions are everywhere. Just like you said, and then that in turn means that I think that the w- where you can find a niche in this business is if I guess covering teams or what we're you know we're talking about the uh, you know what used to be columnists what used to be beat writers and all that but where you can establish a niche is is maybe an information man you know or mm-hmm. somebody who has spent a long time covering one team and okay, that's the authority. That's who I want to go to. That's who a fan wants to go to, to get the real story. And that's not even necessarily to get only the positive spin. It's just to, Hey, shoot me straight. You know, I don't want, I don't want you blowing, uh, you know, pumping sunshine, but I also want you ripping, ripping my team to shreds. And so I think at least as, as, as I go about my job, it's that sort of middle ground that I try to, uh, try to try to strike, or I guess I've, that I've always tried to strike, regardless of whether I've worked for Tiger Illustrated or or a newspaper. Um, but it just seems like there are so many people out there with opinions, and we haven't even gotten into Twitter. You know, we, we're oh. only we're only talking about the talking heads on TV. But good grief, um, you know, just so many people out there. And and I think the one of the positives is, you know, back in the old days. A, a columnist or a or a beat writer didn't have to give his readers the time of freaking day, right? Like you had like a letter to the editor in the old days, and then later on, you know, you could have your phone number at the bottom of 
of your articles where they could call and leave a message and you could choose to call them back or choose not to call them back. And then you had an email address at the bottom of your, of your articles. Well now, man, if I make a mistake <laughs> or, oh. or if I, if I get something wrong or, or, or am not really fair and in, in, in something that I write, I'm going to hear about it like a minute later on my message board or maybe even on Twitter as well. But I think that's good that, that, that people like me and others that they're, they're, the distance has been removed from writers who are sort of in this ivory tower and who's, and who basically say, Hey, I'm going to write what I think is important and you're going to like it. You know, um, you're able to interact much more uh, with the people who are paying your salary, which I think is probably pretty important. I think it's all, it is all good. First of all, when you get a lot of reaction, I've gotten reaction before going back to my, days when I was in sports. And I think, you know, as long as you don't pepper me with obscenities or insult me for the start, if you kind of come at me and you're pretty reasonable, although firm in an opinion, there've been a lot of times I've looked at something and, and said like, you know what, first of all, if you make a mistake, you know, you want to go back and own up to it quickly and it's good for people to call you on it. But I also think that it is good to kind of take that, you know, they've, the football coaches have come down from the, the, the tower. And now, you know, a lot of the, the media has as well on all sides of it. So it is, I think a little bit more close like that. And at the same time, you know, Twitter and Facebook have got that ugliness to it because as, as I say, a lot of times when someone is outrageous, you're just going like, you know, there's a lot of bravery behind a keyboard. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess maybe one of the casualties of this new landscape as you've mentioned, like the hardcore fans, they've gravitated to websites like mine or other similar sites at at other uh, schools, but there's no sort of voice in the middle, so to speak, in terms of this not, you know, not covering either team exclusively, right? So like the average, where does the average person in, in Greenville or Columbia who's not a hardcore fan of either South Carolina or Clemson, where do they go to get just sort of the rudimentary, you know, information or stories on either team? I don't know. I don't know what they do. That's a good question because, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of prints have um, discontinued, you know, specific beat writers. Um, I know that uh, the Herald Journal in Spartanburg no longer covers Wofford games. Wow. Uh, they'll go and do a, if there's a good feature story or something to do. But, you know, you see a lot of that. That is a, a really, really good question. Um, you know, I think that and they fully get a, a limited amount of time a night on the air, obviously. But, you know, Pete Yandy on Channel 7 will try to give you just a little bit of a taste of everything, hopefully. Yep. You know, a little Clemson, a little Carolina, um, you know, a little Flawford, a little Furman. Uh, you still obviously one area where I think that local can still be indispensable is when it comes to high school, if you choose to do it right. And I think the TV stations do because, you know, Friday night's just a war to see who can get the most highlights on the air and who can get the best stuff on the air. Whereas I do think, once again, it, it, I don't want to say all print. But a lot of newspapers, the Greenville News, when I was in, I was working Columbia for three years. And on, on Saturday morning, 
I would buy the Greenville News when I was working in Columbia because their high school section with Tom Layton was that good. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that 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 casual sports fan, they've got to kind of do a little bit of searching. I would agree with that. That's interesting. It's really sad. Um, you know, I think newspapers' demise has largely been self-inflicted because they basically ignored a lot of the desires of of their readers. Um, but it, it, it's nonetheless really unfortunate because like you said, um, there was some great coverage of high school sports, college sports and, and everything beyond, uh, you mentioned, so Twitter in, in your role. So I try to stay off of it. <laughs> um, mainly because of sanity. Um, and, Two, because I we have a message board on my website that people pay $10 a month uh, to hang out and f- to visit with me. So why would I go onto Twitter and, and spend a lot of time hanging out there when, when I, um, you know, it's my job to, to be on my website. How, what, do you have a, a governor, so to speak, on, on, how, on, on any limits on, on how much time you spend on Twitter? And what is your sort of... What are your interactions like and um, just your approach to it, professionally, personally? Well, I'm on it a lot when I'm at the office, um, and especially on a, when I'm on the air in the morning. I'm on the air for four and a half hours in the morning. And while it has a lot of things you don't want to see on it, it also can be an, an incredible source of information to get on top of a story. And it happened just last week when you had the FAA shut down all departing flights across the country for about two or three hours on, I can't remember if that was, I think it was last Thursday morning, Wednesday or Thursday morning. And it was just suddenly just a few people that were retweeting people going like, what's going on with planes? We hear the FAA is grounding everything. And then you start seeing more. And then I started really just suddenly using it to get the official FAA account and the official American Airlines and Delta Airlines. And suddenly I've got that on my screen on the set so I can see what these airlines are trying to tell passengers. So in that way, it is invaluable. Um, while I'm in kind of that news gathering mode while we're on the air, because sometimes you'll see something happen. And if you wait around for it to come over the AP broadcast wire that we get, I mean, it's going to be a long time um, or a, a certainly a, a noticeable delay. And so I, I like it for that. As far as my participation on it, I, I come on in the morning. I start by putting the weather forecast out that our meteorologist gives most of the time, I usually be try to be relatively light and just say just, you know, some kind of silly things or I don't try to go too I, I don't get into any politics at all. I don't go anywhere <laughs> close to there. And I know a lot of people that I know, not at our TV station, who go full in for politics from a local news standpoint. And, and I don't go anywhere with that. As a matter of fact, my rule of thumb when it comes to politics is that when we come down to a presidential election year in South Carolina, well, I will vote in one of the primaries. 
but I don't tell you that I voted today because if I tell you I voted one day, then you'll know that I voted in either the Republican primary or the Democratic primary. Mm. On election day, when it doesn't matter, then I'll say I voted. You should do the same. But I just I absolutely avoid any mention of politics. I just don't want to get into that. And I don't think I should. I'm kind of old school. You know, I, I don't think you should know how I vote. And I hope that it doesn't ever influence what I do. And I don't really get much reaction for, from it. Occasionally, I'll get one both ways. So if I figure someone says I'm pro one side or pro the other, I figure like, OK, I must be doing OK then. Um, but you're so right. You can just it can go nuts. So I try to cut myself off after the after I go downstairs to do the noon news. And then I might kind of look back later in the day just to see what's going on. But you've got to limit your time on there. And I don't like to get into too many jawing matches with people. I'll tell you, my, the tweet that I put out that got the most reaction, and I say this as an Indiana basketball fan. So the year that Kentucky won the national championship. Now, Indiana and Kentucky used to play every year in basketball, but they stopped the series years ago. Indiana beat Kentucky at, at Bloomington, and it was kind of a breakthrough when they had been down for a long time. And Calipari then simply said, you know, we're only going to play schools in neutral sites. We're not going to play non-conference home and home. We only do neutral sites, even though they immediately had scheduled UCLA home and home. Be that as it may. So after Kentucky wins the national championship, they're at the White House meeting uh, President Obama. And I put out on Twitter, I said, uh, Kentucky being honored uh, at the White House right now for their women national championship. Funny, I figured Calipari would have wanted to meet President Obama at a neutral site. <laughs> and I didn't think That's much. That's good. I just kind of threw it out That's there. That's good. Well, the next thing I know, I see a retweet from Kentucky Sports Radio. And the oh, next thing I know, Matt my Jones. timeline is exploding. Probably the way yours did a couple of times last Thursday uh, on your on your scoops. But anyway, and now and then people are coming at me and a lot of them are mad and they're cussing. And I'm just going like, it was just a joke. Yeah. You know, you won the national championship. You had a great team. But man, it's amazing. The fire. It's like. You you write, you know, whatever it is, 280 <laughs> characters, whatever it is, and you hit send. And, I mean, that could be napalm, you know, with flamethrowers. It's incredible what can happen. It's uh, just last week or maybe over the weekend after Shane Beamer uh, <laughs> took on uh, whatever radio station that is in the upstate for mm-hmm. uh, saying whatever about uh, him not being able to get Garrett Riley, and he, he shamed their Twitter following it only 8,000 in this. I mean, that was just, I'm not used to seeing head coaches do that. I'm sorry, but it's just, I mean, I'm more entertained by it than anything. And so I tweeted something to the effect of, I, I did a screen cap of, if you know, the, like the, the little, when you, well, it's not the egg anymore. It's like the shadow person on Twitter. The, the little, mm-hmm. when people who don't have, who don't pick their avatars, <laughs> they don't yes. pick a picture. Yes. And I said, I said, we're only a few, de- we're only a, uh, we're not far away from Shane Beamer just eviscerating one of these guys. I saw that. And, and I, you know, I mean, I just, it was just a joke, just like it yours. Was a joke. Yeah. And so yeah, I have, and this is the best part, you know, I, 
South Carolina fans clapping back at me saying, yeah, I'm not sure why that offended you. And I'm like, I am definitely not offended. (laughs) (laughs) I think you and Shane Beamer definitely are about over man, something that should be trivial, but yeah, I think the bottom line, uh, Fred is the lesson here that, that you gradually learn. Um, and that I'm definitely imparting to my children is, man, if you want to argue with somebody or have a disagreement, do it over the phone, do it in person, because with your thumbs or your fingers, it's just, you're, you're, what, what you're thinking is just not necessarily going to go over that way when you're just sitting there typing. And it's just, uh, kind of a hard lesson for a lot of people because a lot of people just make total fools of themselves out there, unfortunately. I agree. I agree. You know, the one thing about, you mentioned that thing with, um, with Shane Beamer and I read some of the reactions to it and some of them thought, you know, well, he's really sticking up for his program. So good for him. And, but, and I was sort of like you kind of going like, I don't know why you're, you're helping because that's what you're doing. You're, you're helping these people by doing it. I understand your reaction and you want to do something. But I just thought that that was, and that's probably about the closest thing you would get to that Ken Berger headline today. If a coach would engage a media member or something like that. And I guess he kind of did that with, um, Sapikoff with, with South, with, with Gene Sapikoff, uh, over the, the same topic. It's incredible how much, how much gets generated about the hiring of offensive coordinators. The the biggest thing I learned (laughs) and how different football was in the South was when I, the first time I was on the sidelines. And again, I worked in Columbia for three years for a South Carolina football game. And I heard fans screaming at the, the offensive coordinator at that time was a guy named Frank Sadler. And they were yelling (laughs) at him by name. I'm going like, they pick out the coordinators by they don't do the coach. And the one thing I've always kind of wondered about coaches too is, you know, when they talk about offensive coordinators or whatever, and you're chewing out the, uh, the, the OC in that case, I'm kind of going like, well, Joe Morrison's the coach. Does he not know what plays go in there? Maybe he didn't, but <laughs> I just, it, 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 that was the real thing. I said like, okay, this is a different place. I mean, my second game in the South that I saw was in 1984. It was Clemson at Georgia. Oh, wow. The Kevin and Butler. Had, and that was the Kevin Butler 60 yard Larry Munson saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. And uh, and it was an amazing football game. And I had never seen an atmosphere like that. Of course, everyone's stadiums are 15, 20,000 seats larger now. Um, but that was my second football game in the South. And I talked to my brother who went to Illinois the next day. He said, it's like, so is it bigger than the big 10? I said, like, <laughs> there is, there is no comparison. It's like, it's, it's, it's high. The big 10 is high school in intensity compared to here. Yeah, okay. Ohio state, Michigan, but for the most part, I'd never seen anything like it. Of course you get to experience it in some of the other places, but Wow. So, okay, you say, I've never seen anything like it. You know, that day, that was your introduction. What was it? What were the sights and sounds that made that just sort of floored you? You just walked in there, and it was just everybody's wearing Georgia red or the little snippets of Clemson orange. Uh, it's a gorgeous day. 
Um, it's loud from the start. Georgia had the the whole organized cheer for every kickoff. You know, the band played that little, I, I can't remember which song it is, every time they get a first down. You know, dun, 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 dun. you hear that every yeah. time. And kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, Vince Dooley just scratched his nose. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, that's what it felt <laughs> like. And um, and it was just so really intense. I mean, it was loud. Even the Clemson fans, even the, whatever they got, 7,000 fans or something like that, they were loud, you know, when they would make a play. And it was a crazy ending. I remember Clemson had a really good run back on the kickoff and might have actually been in conceivable range for Donald Igwe Buike. But the um, – but the the time they, the, the the official said the time ran out. There was no time left on the clock. But it was just such an intense game and back and forth. And I mean, it was big time football. Um, I had it was just such an experience. Um, and again, I just had never heard fans that intense for that long. Um, I mean, they go in there and they watch warm ups. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like. I'll be, I would be out at the tailgate party if I was them until, you know, a sufficient amount of time before coming in. But uh, the first game I saw was South Carolina and the Citadel. And it was a night game in Columbia and the Citadel. They almost beat them. them. They almost beat them. South Carolina ran a trick play. Um, halfback pulled up and threw to a wide open receiver. So they're up 31-24. Citadel almost ran the kickoff back for a touchdown. I think the, the one guy got their return man with one hand. And if I want to remember <laughs> right, I think the guy had four fingers. Wow. <laughs> and wow. he got, and it might almost be, I'm trying to remember the play. It's almost what might be a horse collar by today, but he got him with one hand, saved the touchdown. Citadel threw four passes in the end zone. South Carolina holds on. Then I go to Clemson, Georgia the next week, only to think that South Carolina winds up going. That's, of course, the Black Magic season, 10 and 1. And I'm thinking, like, well, this must be like this every year. <laughs> <laughs> so, did and you, that was even something. Did you go to Navy that year? I did not go to Navy that year. Um, but I, I worked at, uh, we were the TV station that aired the broadcast. And it's the worst television broadcast of a football game <laughs> I have ever seen. It was, I'm trying to remember who produced it uh, because it was on like, like a Raycom or something yep. like that. I'm not saying it was Raycom, but it was, it was something like that. And of course, this is just after they've set the world on fire by beating Florida state. And they go up there and it's just like, who are these guys wearing these uniforms? But the thing I'll, you know, they could never get the the names of the players or the coaches right. Do you remember back in the old days when the announcer would thank the school and thank the sports information director and all the people who helped them with the broadcast? It's not something they do anymore. Well, I'm starting to listen to it, and it's obvious they pulled a page from South Carolina State because <laughs> they thank Coach Bill. No, I, they, I'm serious. They thank <laughs> Coach Bill Davis. And they thank uh, sports information director, uh, Bill Hamilton. No way. And this is in the fourth quarter of the game they've been doing all day. And I mean, the phone's ringing off the hook because, you know, the South Carolina fans are understandably mad about the way the game was going. But then on top of it, this horrible broadcast. And 
And I think that uh, poor Channel 4 ran into the same thing with a disastrous Gator Bowl for Clemson against Syracuse because I think the announcers called them cleansing the whole game <laughs> and had a lot of er- other errors that they just didn't seem to know what the team and one of the teams in Orange was doing. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word? about Founders Federal Credit Union. If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. That uh, mid to late 80s was that was really intense between both of the schools. Um, and one of my favorite sort of memories that was uh, we sort of discovered long after the fact was uh, Danny Ford telling us, I don't know, it was about a decade or so ago, that uh, while he and Joe Morrison were, of course, cutthroat competitors on the field, they were actually friends off of it and that when Danny would go down to say an IPTA meeting in Columbia, he would stop off and hang out in Joe Morrison's office and they'd drink beer and, and just, uh, you know, shoot the crap together. What do you remember from those two? And I mean, and, and I love that. And, and I think that's the way it should be. I still think there's, um, you know, I know that the, Clemson fans, they're, they're a little bit afraid just because, you know, they finally lost, um, the big showdown. But um, when the two teams played last year in Columbia, the first time that Beamer and, and uh, Dabo went head to head, and a lot of people got this video. Uh, Todd Summers works at Channel 7. It's pinned to the top of his Twitter feed if you want to go and see it. It's just a great scene of Dabo and warmups walking down to see Beamer and Beamer's small son. You know, he just picks him up. Uh, Dabo does and is talking to him and and then you can see these guys just talking and you know I know that there's a rivalry and I know that beating each other will have a lot to do with their their job status well not so much for Dabo I think he's in pretty good shape but I mean you know they could easily be really cutthroat and it was just actually I just I think it's a great video and you know and I and so hearing that story about Danny and Joe I think is great I had not heard that before it is about three o'clock on a Tuesday and your schedule, I guess from two o'clock on you're free. I want to get, let's get a look at 
what your daily schedule is like, what your routine is like. It's kind of fascinating given your, given your responsibilities. Okay. Are, are you are sitting down, correct? Yes. No, I'm okay. standing up. I have, I have a standing desk, but, but I'm figuratively okay. sitting okay. down. Okay. All right. Just kind of grab, you know, something just to be <laughs> able to hold yourself up. And if, for anybody listening to this, please be sitting down. And if you're driving, just have two hands on the wheel. My alarm goes off at 1.40 oh, in the morning. Oh, my goodness. I pause for the audible grub. <laughs> oh, my. So are you about to go to bed in about 10 minutes? Uh, no, I, I go to bed at, I, I, sh- I probably should go to bed earlier. I go to bed at seven. Wow. And so, and I'm pretty good at falling asleep pretty quickly. So, you know, hope that's, that's about six right there. And a lot of times in the afternoon, I'll, I'll probably take a 45 minute nap, but then I'll also exercise in the afternoon too. But, um, but yeah, so I, I go to bed at seven and wake up at one forty. I've got two alarms. The second goes off. One's plugged in the wall. One is the phone, and they're five minutes apart in case something happens. And I get up, and I eat breakfast real quick and jump in the shower, and I'm on the road to the TV station by 2.30. It's about 25-minute drive, and uh, go in and work on the show. Sometimes I'm writing stuff. Otherwise, I'm kind of editing the scripts that I go through. Um, and we, I do that right up to airtime and maybe even for about 15 or 20 minutes during commercials when I'm on the air. Um, I've been writing a lot of sports lately. The, the producers just say like, hey, we want to put in um, South Carolina beating Kentucky. Will you write that? Because they don't want to. I say like, that's fine. And then the next day it was Clemson, Louisville. And of course, then we got to Friday and everything. And of course, you had the huge uh, situation with Clemson football. So I kind of do that on the air from 4.30 to 9. Uh, I eat lunch right at 9 in the morning. That's lunchtime for me. <laughs> and uh, work on the noon show, and then I work on some other things. I've got a, um, a segment I do once a week called First Responder Friday, and we do profiles of police officers, uh, 911 operators, a lot of firefighters. We're always looking for something different. As a matter of fact, we are doing one that airs this Friday. We're doing it on sports athletic trainers, obviously following the DeMar Hamlet situation because a trainer was the first responder out there. And, um, and Watford, we kind of featured them because they had a player who went into cardiac arrest by the name of Michael Roach um, back in 2016. Uh, very similar situation. They finished the game. Uh, he's all right, by the way. He had to retire immediately, but he's uh, working here in Spartanburg. Uh, we're working in Spartanburg, um, so we kind of we do that kind of thing. So I, I I sometimes am writing. Sometimes I'll go out and shoot that story between shows, or I might go out and shoot that and not do the noon show. That's why sometimes I'm not on there uh, because I'm usually out shooting one of those. But um, and then basically from nine to about twelve, we're kind of doing stuff for the. Um, the noon show. And there's sometimes there's some, there's some downtime in there, maybe about an hour or so, you know, unless something kind of comes in late breaking. And I leave at 1230 on the dot. Um, show goes there at 1227, the noon show. And I'm usually in my car by 1230. Now, the one thing about the ridiculous morning hours that this is what I use to justify it. 
my weekend starts at 1230 on Friday. <laughs> the traditional Gordon Dill, Amy Wood, P. Yannity weekend starts at 1130 on Friday, Friday night. So I will trade Friday afternoon and Friday night for Sunday night and Monday morning. That's that's the little bit that I'll take with it. There's not too many real nine to five uh, TV jobs. <laughs> so uh, and that's pretty much it. Now, the other thing I have to do on a Friday night, if I'm going to watch something that's going to interest me, I need to take a nap in the afternoon. Otherwise, I'm a 9 p.m. head bopper, you know, just sitting in the chair and I might be watching a show with my wife. She'll say, like, are you awake? Finish it tomorrow. Go to bed. <laughs> so you get into work at 2.30? Uh, at 3. Right three. before a 25-minute drive. Yeah, I leave the house at 2.30. Okay, I see. And and then your show starts at 6. No. Oh, we 5. Go the, we go on the air at 4.30. Oh, 4.30. Okay. We're on from, we're on from 4.30 until 9. Wow. Yeah, that's a big chunk. So, uh, and really, pretty much everybody else, uh, channel twenty-one is four thirty to nine. Um, we do two and a half hours on channel seven, and then the other two hours we do on our sister station, channel sixty-two. Um, channel four, for instance, does not do seven to nine. So, when the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday, whenever when the game's starting. You're getting ready for bed. I will make an exception for the Super Bowl and make it to halftime. And then and then I go to bed. So, and there's been, you know, a lot of times where there will be a game that I'll miss. Um, my favorite one, Clemson fans, please don't be upset with me when I bring this story up. So, I go to bed and don't watch one minute of the Orange Bowl when they played West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I wake up the next morning, everybody in the house is asleep, and I go and I grab my phone and I look to see what the score is. <laughs> I see 70 to 35. I'm like, did they play basketball too that night? You gave Clemson what? two what? extra points there. Sorry, it was 70 to 33. Oh my gosh, you're right. Okay, <laughs> forgive me. Sorry. <laughs> gosh. I'm just like, 70? I was like, what? <laughs> and there was another time uh, when they played the um, the Alabama um, semifinal game uh, with with Kelly Bryant at quarterback. I said, like, okay, wake me up if it's looking pretty good. And I suddenly, my alarm went off and I said, that's not a good sign. Because I couldn't even make it up for the entire, when they won the first national championship, when they beat Alabama and Tampa. Um, I was sleeping through most of it. And then my wife came in and woke me up. She said, you, you need to get out of here and see this. I said, okay. And we're watching it. My daughter's up and, you know, she, she was still in high school at that point. And, uh, so I watched the end of the game and then I was just too charged up to go back to bed. So, um, uh, uh, so I, I finally had to go back and watch the rest of it on replay the next day. But, uh, that was a great memory. The great thing about, by the way, being, you know, in news, but still getting to do some sports is that for three of the national championship games, I also got to go to that game to work for Channel 7. I did it from the news side. Um, So I was kind of doing not so much any kind of X's and O's about the game. So I did get to go to the championship game in Phoenix 
and in New Orleans and in San Jose or San Francisco or Santa Clara, wherever we played that game out West. So there are one and two in games that I attended, but that was also really cool. And all those nights, those are all nighters uh, because we do everything going into the game, um, you know, four o'clock until right up to kickoff. And then we cover the game and then I'm on the morning show the next day. Uh, so national championship games are a blast, but man, we don't get much sleep. I mean, I know how hard it is to write coherently when I've been, uh, covering a marathon, you know, for five, six hours. I can't imagine how difficult it is to be in front of a camera and speak coherently on live television when you've, when you've done something like that. That's a good, that's a great point. And the one thing I do in the morning under those circumstances is um, I really, really script it. So I'm kind of maybe, maybe rehashing something or um, I, I think we've had like maybe Pete Anity did the highlights or he put together a piece on it, but basically it's, I don't really leave a lot of room for me to ad lib too much. <laughs> <laughs> I stick to a pretty, pretty strict script for both times you see me each hour uh, from wherever it is, New Orleans or something like that. And also um, I'm not a coffee drinker at all. I've never had a, never had a drop of coffee, but I will down some Cokes during that. So you, you pay pretty close attention, obviously to Clemson. You, you, you read my writings, you listen to my podcast when you don't really have to, because you can, you know, you're more of a surface level guy. You don't cover sports deeply anymore is that just because you're just interested and you do the same thing with South Carolina you just like following um like reading about and following both of the uh both of the schools in the state or do you maybe lean more toward Clemson how does that work um I I do like to just follow them because it's just it's still kind of my nature I mean I still love doing sports the main reason that I got out of it and I don't blame anybody who um stays in it for their entire careers. The main reason that I decided to get out of it, which is family considerations was that, um, I was married. I got married when I was 38. We had our daughter when I was 40 and, you know, I spent two straight new year's eves in Tampa, um, by myself pretty much, um, waiting to cover a, a bowl game, South Carolina, Ohio State. Meanwhile, my family's up here celebrating, and it's it's all those nights and weekends. And even though morning news has got a very irregular schedule to it from everybody else, it's still kind of a set one. And I was able to really do so much more family-wise, which worked out great. Again, the little bit of sports I get to do on the side kind of scratches that itch, but still in my heart, I still love doing it. So, yeah, I'm still really interested in what's going on with the, the major sports at Clemson, even though I don't cover them. Um, I'm all, I also keep up on South Carolina. I, to be honest, I do keep up more with Clemson because again, I've been lucky enough to get to do, you know, a lot of sports over there, you know, again, a lot of fall sports and some of their spring sports. So, and you know, you talk to those, everybody enough over there. So I don't want to say fan, but I just certainly am more interested. You know, I've had people, I've written something about Clemson on my um, on Twitter before, 
and people say like your team i'm going like well i'm not saying they're my team first first of all i'm a masochist as a as a football fan because i went to indiana so you know between indiana and being a fan of the colts i mean you know i i that's a lot of bitterness to try to absorb (laughs) (laughs) what i love um, i'm sorry to interrupt no 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 but uh so I, I, yeah, it's, it's it's still part of that's in me. So I just kind of like to know what's going on, but I also miss some things. There's times where I'll call Pete Yandy in the afternoon or I might text Mickey Plyer and say like, Hey, when did this happen? Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I don't, I don't have my finger on the pulse of everything, but I, I still try to keep up. I was going to say, it always amuses me when, if I make an observation on Twitter about another team, whether it's, boy, Stetson Bennett really proved the doubters wrong or something like that, or mm-hmm. God forbid an observation on, on South Carolina's football team. It's why are you, <laughs> you cover Clemson. How dare you make a comment on other teams? It's just like, dude, I, I yeah, I, I watch college football. I think I'm allowed to make a comment on other football teams. They view it as almost as like I'm, a, I'm an employee of Clemson, you know, of, yeah. I'm on the staff or something, you know, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're giving opinions on football. Meanwhile, this is something I cover, but I also watch other things. Yeah. I, I, I saw, um, what was, Oh, you got into some skirt. Oh, I remember you, I, you made a great point about the Heisman trophy and because somebody I can't remember. It I was Nicole to, Nicole Auerbach of the Athletic. Okay, that's who it was. Who just kind of made this general statement about you know if you don't do your Heisman vote this way, then you shouldn't have one. I'm like, well, no. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed. <laughs> and you, and you basically, with with much better points than me, said no. She uh, yeah, she said I'm disappointed in the voters because the the reason Stetson Bennett as a finalist is only because of the people who voted early and didn't really think beyond, Oh, he's on the number one team, which, yeah, I, I did not, I did not oh, get yeah. that at all. I mean, the, the logic, my logic is there is no set criteria. I mean, it's, it's the loosest criteria I think for any award out there. And so you can come up with whatever reason you want to vote for, sure. Uh, uh, a player, but by the oh, way, I, she yeah, did. She did after the TCU, uh, after Georgia won it all last week, and after Stetson Bennett took home his fourth MVP in the in the post in the playoffs <laughs> the postseason, which is just incredible. By the way, yeah, she wrote an apology uh, column. <laughs> That's a, you know, if he was six three. Or if he had had five stars coming out of high school, is he viewed completely differently? Absolutely, because he has he has a really good arm, and he has wheels, which is the reason I thought in 2021 I was sold on him uh, halfway through that season because he was making things happen uh, with his legs that JT Daniels could not, but a lot of other people didn't see it that way at the time. So yeah, I, and I'll I want to make one more quick point about talk about the Heisman trophy because I also, you know, I, I agree with you. There is no set criteria, which makes me think that I think it's okay to almost consider it not really a lifetime achievement award, but I look at it this way. The four biggest football games that 
Deshaun Watson played in the four playoff games, as far as the Heisman Trophy is concerned, never happened. And I used and I used to know his numbers, and you've probably looked it up before too. You look at his numbers from those four games; those are the toughest teams he's going to play. He had incredible numbers, and the same thing for Lawrence. Well, okay, I know the Ohio State loss in his his last game, but still, he had incredible numbers in the what the five playoff games that he played in overall. But otherwise. Those those don't count. I'm thinking like Stetson Bennett did something to win the national championship last year. So I've always thought he was overlooked. You know, I I, I don't know how you kind of justify that, but everyone always says like, oh no, you can't you can't take into account previous years. And I'm like, well, why not? Yeah. Fred, is there anything else about you that I have neglected to ask about that uh, that 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 is uh, you think should be we should. Talk about? Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about a police record or anything. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just curious odd, if I miss anything. Odd things that I got to do, believe it or not, you might find this insane. I do looking back at it, but there was actually a reason I did it. I hosted the 2003 Miss South Carolina pageant. Wow. The. Um, the TV station televised it for maybe five or six years in the early 2000s. And this was the first year and they came and asked me if I would do it. And one of the reasons I did it, this is, you know, I'm not going to ever go skydiving and I'm not going to handle live rattlesnakes, but even though I'm on TV for a long time, I still had sort of a, a fear of getting up in front of, in that case, about 3000 people at Spartanburg Memorial Auditorium. And the thing was broadcast statewide. And if you looked at the ratings we had back then, a whole different era. I mean, it was the number one, it was the most watched show on TV that night in this area. But I kind of did that. And one thing to sort of conquer that fear. Um, I don't know if I did a particularly good job or not. I was not asked back. (laughs) That's okay. I got up. I was in a rented tux. I did it once. I think I got it on. And got it off in one piece. I did not Steve Harvey. I got the right winner's name. <laughs> Although the the process that I was promised would be the foolproof process to announce that, they didn't really follow it. They simply scribbled the name of the winner on the back of a card. <laughs> like, is this right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, I did do that. That was my one other thing uh, but, that that. Uh, I've done that's really, really out of the ordinary, but, um, uh, no, but outside of that, it's just, it's been really, really fun, uh, to do everything I have. I mean, again, I've been at channel seven now, it'll be 36 years in April. I've got no plans on slowing down anytime soon if they'll have me. And, um, we seem to be getting along well, and I've just been really lucky. Um, you know, when you go look for your first job, in this business, uh, one place I applied to was in Marquette, Michigan. Have you ever looked at Marquette, Michigan on a map? I've never heard of Marquette, Michigan. Marquette, Michigan is a tiny town on top of the upper peninsula of Michigan. You remember when you look at like an old school map and there's like yellow around a major city, I think you could take a ruler and put it on a map and not find any yellow 
for that full one foot. That's how far in the middle it was. And instead, I got a chance to come down and work on a TV station in Columbia and, and in, in South Carolina. And this has become my home now. So I consider myself to be incredibly lucky. You know, when I was in sports, I had the chance to see a ton of stuff. Uh, I've been to three Super Bowls. I got to cover the Masters for pretty much 18 straight years, the Heritage for 18 straight years. We used to really follow the Atlanta Braves, so I've been to the World Series numerous times. Um, been with Clemson to three national championship games. I've been to NCAA tournaments with them. I was in um, East Rutherford when Tate George hit that ridiculous shot for UConn to break their hearts in the Sweet 16. I was there for that. So I've had a chance to see a lot, and it's been a great ride, and I just I can't wait to see what's next because I'm not going anywhere. Pretty remarkable, you know, how when you first get into the business, you know, you're like, oh, I gotta, I'm gonna climb the ladder. I gotta, I can, I can't be at one spot for more than two years, and I gotta keep advancing. And then, and then your priorities start to change, you know, as you mentioned with family and um, adjusting your schedule accordingly to where you can spend time with them. And um, kind of crazy how it all sort of shakes out in the the professional aspirations sort of even out and man, if you can find something that, that satisfies both the professional and personal with your family, then you really have it figured out. And it sounds like you really do. I, I think I do. And I think you're right on all that. Again, the job I'm doing in Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, I would be doing the same job in New York, but I am much happier here. Fred Cunningham, glad we can, uh, could connect. And, man, I hope to see you sometime. I don't think we've ever met in person, but I look forward to it whenever it does happen. Hopefully um, bump into you maybe at a baseball game coming up here uh, in the next couple of months. That would be great. Sounds good, man. Thanks for joining us. Larry, thank you. And, again, uh, pleasure to spend a few minutes with you. Well, more than a few minutes, but it was fun. It flew by. And, again, big fan of your work, and it was a pleasure. All right, great stuff there. Really appreciate Fred's kind words, but also his uh, support of TigerIllustrated.com and the podcast. Avid listener, sounds like. That's uh, really cool to hear. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And most of all, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button. Be back next week. Cheers. Cheers.